Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. Hi, everybody. I'm here with my dear friend, Cynthia Jures. Is it a secret that you're an ordained lama now? <laughs> well, it's not public knowledge. Okay, well, we can edit that part out if we want. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'm just going to... I'm going to do, like, introductions and stuff like that at another time. Um, I'm just going to jump right in okay. with some things I want to ask you. This is one of the themes in my book. I've really been doubting uh-huh. this whole narrative of, well, we're going to have to change now. Uh-huh. What if we never have to change? What if it's always a choice and we could continue going down the path toward a dead planet with technological substitutes for everything, or we could choose a living planet? And I think maybe there's a similar choice here, mm-hmm. a choice toward even more distancing and therefore more ingratitude or a return of some sort. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's a way to formulate this selfishly, like in a way like, okay, more gratitude, simplify my life, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And as I was contemplating the questions you told me you wanted to talk to me about. Oh, yeah, those questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, one of the things that came to me is that uh, generosity really comes from gratitude. Yes. So that's the beginning, is this feeling of gratitude. And from that feeling of gratitude, we naturally feel a response, a responsiveness mm-hmm. of of wanting to give, because we're filled up with that sense of appreciation and, and, and gratitude. In my own experience, I, I feel as if when I connect with that state of gratitude, then I'm filled with energy. So selfishly, I want to tap into that as much as possible mm-hmm. because it gives me juice to keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember Thich Nhat Hanh, one of my great teachers, talked about in his 14 mindfulness trainings, 14 precepts of the order of interbeing, that you need to plant seeds of joy. You know, there's a lot of suffering in the world. If we don't have the joy, if we're not cultivating that quality of appreciation and gratitude, then we're not going to be able to make it through the hard stuff. 
You know, so we have to we have to take time to appreciate the the blue sky, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, or the smell the the fragrance of the mm-hmm. rose. You know, and 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 stop for a moment and take that in and feel what it does to us. It's a kind of wealth. I, I think you could say gratitude itself. So generosity is a consequence of gratitude. And gratitude is a consequence of an experience of wealth. Mm-hmm. If you really experience life mm-hmm. as rich, then, then of course you're going to feel grateful for it. Mm-hmm. So it's possible to have a lot of what looks like wealth. But if there's no generosity, that means there's no gratitude. And if there's no gratitude, it means that that person, even if they have a, quote, net worth of $100 million, it means they're not actually wealthy. Mm-hmm. Because to me, wealth is a feeling of freedom to be generous so i guess for me the question comes down to like the what's in it for me question comes down to how do i want to feel in the world yeah do i want to feel wealthy do i want to feel at home here do i want do i want to feel free to be generous yes 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 (laughs) yeah in the in the buddhist teachings which i have you know a long history with um we talk about this precious human life Mm-hmm. that we are grateful for having this precious human life, which inside of the Dharma teachings says it's precious because we have a chance to wake up. We have a chance to learn and grow and, and, and become a better person, you know, become enlightened. Mm-hmm. But get rid of all that talk and just get down to what it means to be alive, you know, and, and the opportunity that this precious lifetime presents us with. And, I mean, many people are not in touch with that. You know, life is hard, and there's a lot of suffering. And, um, but, you know, again, Thich Nhat Hanh, he would say, the non-toothache, you know, when you uh-huh. don't have a toothache, how grateful are you? But then you forget mm-hmm. because you don't have it to remember to be grateful that you don't have a toothache. Right. right. Yeah, I remember when I had a toothache. Boy, I was like, I'm going to be, if, I, if this only stops, I will be forever grateful. Right. Yeah, that lasted maybe for a week. Yeah, yeah. and then life goes on. But um, so it's something to, to, to practice, actually. and And I think part of, part of the opportunity of this precious human life is to actually exercise some practice around and some discipline around cultivating the attitude that brings us benefit. And when it brings us benefit, it brings others benefit, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, even if you don't feel like smiling, you can still kind of like give your face a little hint of that smile And it changes everything. It actually relaxes all the muscles in your face, Mm -hmm. and it makes you feel different than if you're walking around with a scowl all of the time. Mm -hmm. So we have a choice. I'm thinking of my mother here, um, who's been recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she is so full of joy. And I'm relating that to what you were saying before about simplifying because when one faces death, you 
you have to do a lot of simplifying, like a lot of letting go. And underneath that, and I'm not saying that everybody with a terminal diagnosis has this, but um, the amount of joy that she radiates is just incredible. And it's also like what you were saying, like like the blue sky, you know, Mm -hmm. she appreciates things like that so much. Mm -hmm. What do you have to... So like the simplifying, you know, it's not just about maybe getting closer to the sources of our food, but there's also kind of a psychological, spiritual simplifying. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I'm sure you must have some words about. Hmm. Is it something that just happens when, when life confronts us with our illusions, like through death or... Is there a way that that we can cultivate it and bring ourselves to that place of joy that we sometimes see in dying people? Mm-hmm. Well, I know just drawing from my own experience, um, I've spent a lot of time meditating <laughs> and in retreats where I actually do simplify a lot and I actually sort of say goodbye to the busy active world that is so filled with activities and distractions and things to do and just pull in, you Mm -hmm. know, really pull in and, and, and stop all of that for a while and simplify to where it's really just all about sitting, breathing, walking, eating, preparing a meal, eating, or sometimes fasting. Um, And after you do that for a period of time, even just a day, actually, Mm -hmm. things really begin to change in terms of one's perception because you really do begin to notice things that aren't available if you're too busy, for example. Mm-hmm. And you you begin to notice the blue sky or when the rustle of the leaves, you know, or the bird song um, or things that you thought were really important become not so important anymore. And you realize what really is important. And there's often that aha of seeing more clearly, you know, it's like the the sediment settling to the bottom mm-hmm. of the glass of apple juice and you see the clear liquid. Mm-hmm. It's it's like that, you know, when you do take time out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a voluntary simplicity. Um, but it's a practice and it's a way of training to be able to notice things more clearly. Mm-hmm. And and to be in touch with what's really important, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we get so caught up in all of our reactivity and ideas of what we think we should be doing and all of this stuff. And we we lose touch with what our deeper calling is, mm-hmm. you know, and what brings us what brings us joy, what what is our offering to the world of generosity um, coming out of that that kind of gratitude. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I've sought out and, and actually practiced a lot. Um, right. So it's not just, you know, you go on this retreat and then you go back to work. Um, it, it, 
fundamentally changes your perception and the kinds of choices you are making before might change. So it's not because there's a critique. It's like, well, this is all very privileged. You know, you can like a lot of people in the world don't have the luxury of being able to go on a retreat, et cetera, et cetera. And they, you know, don't have time to look at the blue sky, et cetera. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you know what? Like most of the most joyous people I have met are not those who have been insulated from suffering and coddled by privilege. They are people who have been confronted with with all of the things life has to offer to, to the most difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I just recently spent some time with a woman, an old lady from uh, from Colombia, from uh, Villa de Paz. There's like a peace village there. And I mean, the stuff she's seen is just horrifying. But she is, she's like four foot ten, you know. Uh, radiates, just radiates joy, radiates peace, radiates love. And it's not because she's been insulated mm-hmm. from privilege, mm-hmm. I mean, by privilege. You know, it's not because she doesn't know how bad things are in the world. It's not because she's had lots of time in her life to go on long retreats. Right. So there's something, and I think that there's a lot of community in her life, a lot of ceremony. Um, so maybe, what do you, what do you think? Like, what's going on with her? Mm. Like, how has she come to this place? Just be, you know, speculating. Well, I I I think that when we are in touch with the diversity of life and the suffering that is around every corner, and not insulating ourselves from that, that we're much more fully alive, and it takes courage to face the difficult things and 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 engage with with life and death issues um but it makes us feel more alive mm-hmm. you know and and when we can engage in a way that brings healing or peace you know all the better so that takes mm-hmm. practice that ta- that's an art right. it would not to get oppressed and bogged down by right. the world situation. Yeah. I mean, cause I, you know, also at the same gathering, I met some Palestinians who were very, very, very beaten down. Like, um, and it's kind of an open question for me. Mm-hmm. What brings one person to that place of radiance and another to a place of despair? Yeah. And, for those of us who are not confronted directly in our lives with death and suffering um, on that extreme level. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe like the retreat, the meditation and stuff is, is for people who are insulated and wanting to return mm-hmm. to the reality that the woman in Colombia is in all the time. I think it can be a tool for that. You know, it can also be a tool to escape from that as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a double-edged sword. In my own case, I think it's been really helpful because I have gone into many very challenging parts of the world and faced a lot of suffering and difficulty and stuff. So it's it's been helpful to balance those things out. Mm-hmm. Um but as you were talking, I was I was remembering uh, someone I met many, many years ago. I was trekking in Nepal 
this was must have been in like 1985. That was before Trek Me Nepal was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we stopped at some little you know guest house for tea or something, and right next to it was this hut along the trail. And I saw all these feathers, and I love feathers and birds, and I collect feathers sometimes, and there were big, huge feathers. And I was drawn to, to like, go down into this little courtyard, see what was happening. And in the, the doorway of this courtyard was this man who had no limbs. He was, um, I don't know what it was, terribly, terribly crippled, born, obviously, that way. He, he had a head and a torso, and he had arms, and he had little legs, sort of. I can't quite remember what it looked like, but um, he had a little sort of um, platform that his body was on that had wheels. And so he was, you know, three feet off the ground at most. And he was the most radiant being I have ever seen. He was radiating light and joy. And he was so thrilled that I had come down. And so we had this interaction and he gave me this beautiful, big, huge, long eagle feather. And he was part of his purpose was to um, care for uh, the, the birds that somehow came and, and, and died. And I don't know what he did, actually. But mm-hmm. he that's that was such a graphic example of someone who was terribly disabled and full of life full of suffering and yet showed no trace of being caught in that mm-hmm. reality you know he was just beaming mm-hmm. love and uh joy to everybody who who came by yeah yeah so you know in the buddhist tradition again not to harp on buddhism but um there is a lot of instruction around practicing this way, you know, and it, as I say, it's a, it's a practice. Um, it's not a, 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 a practice uh, for um, those of us who are so privileged. I mean, in, in the cultures where it comes from, these people live hard lives. Yeah. That's an extreme, but, you know, they live hard lives, and, and they are giggling and laughing most of the time. Yeah. I, I find that it, the farther away from modernity I go, the more people laugh, the more they sing. Yeah. 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 The, the more generous they are. Yeah. With very little. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you must have, in the Earth Treasure Vase journeys, you must have come across a lot of people. Oh, God. Like, yes. I mean, one of the big parts of that practice is to put offerings mm-hmm inside of this little clay pot called the earth treasure vase and those offerings are about bringing healing and protection to the earth because the vase is then buried in a place that needs um is asking for for healing and protection um so people come up with all kinds of things that symbolize that to Mm -hmm. put into the vase or the vase and um i've had some amazing experiences i remember um Oh, like, for example, we took a treasure vase to, I didn't actually, but I gave it to these um, renunciate monks 
in Thailand who are part of the order of Ajahn Chah, the forest, Thai forest monks. Mm-hmm. And these are, these are monks and nuns who, who renounce all worldly possessions. So they have their robe, their begging bowl, you know, a few things like a mat to sleep on and stuff like that. But they don't, and they're completely and totally reliant on the generosity of others to feed them and take care of them, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so we did a ceremony where I delivered the vase to this group who was going to take it to the border of Thailand and Burma, which is a very conflicted area, mm-hmm. which is where the vase was to be buried. But the, the, the ceremony that we did to um, put offerings into the vase, and there was a group of maybe 50 people, most of whom were these renunciate monks, blew my mind because the things that came out of the folds of their robes were like some of the most valuable things you could possibly imagine. And these are, these are, these are monks who, who have nothing, you know, and all of which was given to them. So like, as an example, one of these monks, I remember pulled out a amulet mm-hmm. uh, from Ajahn Chah which was he had made before he died, and it contained relics of his own. And this amulet was worth, he told me later, he said, you could trade this for a Mercedes Benz in Bangkok because people love and revere Ajahn Chah so much. And, and so this little amulet was that valuable. Mm-hmm. And he just put it right in. And it was like his only possession. Yeah, 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 his most precious yeah. possession mm-hmm. on, on some level. You know, it's just a thing, but it was carried all that energy, and he put that into the, the mm-hmm. treasure vase for the healing of the earth, mm-hmm. you know. And, I mean, it goes on and on. There were just so many things like that. In that particular ceremony, um, Buddha relics, they, they had a stupa, a little symbolic stupa filled with relics, supposedly, of the Buddha that, you know, you in that tradition you pray and make you know, we are full of reverence to the Buddha and um, these relics. He opened up, the monk who took the vase opened up the stupa and discovered that the relics had multiplied. And this is something that actually is known to happen mm-hmm. through great devotion. And so, uh, he, you know, he was flabbergasted that these relics had suddenly multiplied. And so he took a whole bunch of those and he put those into the treasure vase. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, that was just one example. Another example is in Liberia, a very, very different situation from the Thai forest monks. Here you have a a country, Liberia in West Africa, where there was an incredibly brutal civil war, uh, destroyed the fabric of, of, of the society. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed. And I came in with a treasure vase after the war ended and people from three countries came together to put offerings into this vase for peace. Mm. It was Guinea, Sierra Leone, and Liberia, because they all share a border. And the vase went around the circle. There must have been 500 people in the, in the ceremony because they were all so completely um, concerned about maintaining peace. And this was a way for them to come together and to offer their prayers for that. But they have very, very little. These people live to the bone. They can barely put food on the table. And, um, you know, so they, they 
they didn't have a whole lot of valuable stuff to put into the treasure vase, you know. But so, I mean, and the way that value is often expressed is through money, right? Um, And so a lot of coins went into that little clay pot. Coins from people who didn't have anything and who needed those coins to buy the next bag of rice or whatever it was. So it was a great act of generosity for them to put in a coin mm-hmm. or what they often put in a kola nut, which is a, a, a coming from the kola tree. These nuts are chewed um, and given to elders out of a sign of great respect, you know, the, like a very valuable offering. And mm-hmm. so it was primarily kola nuts and coins who went into that treasure vase um, and I was struck by this because the fact that these people could have shown up, and I know people in my own life here who are dealing with issues around poverty, you know, and so many times people don't give anything because they have to hold on to it, mm-hmm. to keep it, to the, keep the little bit that they have. And they're afraid that if they give it, they won't have anything. And and here you, you, you saw these people giving the last little tiny bit that they had yeah, for the sake of peace. Yeah, for the healing of the earth. And the healing of the earth. And it just makes me think, how fast would this planet heal if, if all the millionaires and billionaires were willing to give everything they had for the healing of the earth? Right. You know, it kind of like hearing that story makes me want to give everything I have for the healing of the earth. And then the next question comes up, well, how? Well. Which is I, not an easy question. I mean, it's, it, No, it's yeah. not. But, you know, you can't figure it out. No. You can't. And you just have to give what you can in the moment and take the next step. And, it's and, an orientation. And then you, you, you know, the, the next moment invites you to do the next thing mm-hmm. for the healing of the earth. And, and then that's all there is in the end because you've just been you know, you've come into that alignment with your calling. I mean, I, I've i been doing this treasure vase practice for many years now, and when I do, when I do it, it is, it really is, Charles, for me. Like, I've given my life, and I will give my life to this. There's nothing else. This is all there is. Mm-hmm. And everything that I do is about that so for me there's 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 nothing more (laughs) i mean i have to be careful to take care of myself in the face of the vastness of the need you know um but oh well what else is life for you know and it fills me with joy actually because i feel like i'm doing the very thing that's you know, not only being called of me, but is really, really needed. So that that feels good, you know. And then, mm-hmm. and then, then I get energy. And and it's you know the giving, the generosity is. We think of money, for example, and it's it's just an energy, right? It's just an energy. That's that, one way to look at it. So, yeah. how do we generate energy for? change for healing for 
um, the the restoration of of harmony in the world and peace. You know, I'm thinking about these um, places on Earth that have been abused. Yeah. Um, and I think that whether it's ecological abuse or humans harming humans, that's a kind of abuse of the Earth as well. And so the, the when people express, oh, we want to heal the Earth, the Earth might be like, really? Mm-hmm. Show me. And when people are giving their last coin, that's a really powerful prayer. You yeah. know, if I were the earth, I'd be like, wow, these people really mean it. Yeah, it's so true. And they care about me. And for me, like, I think this is true for a lot of sick people. If you think that no one wants you and that you're not appreciated, not useful, then why would you stick around? Right. And I think we all have opportunities to make gestures like that, that, sh- that demonstrate our seriousness yeah. um, about what we say we want. Yes. And these gestures are like one way to, I, I see like a, as a practice is that the gesture is just at the edge of courage. And once that gesture is made, then courage expands. And the next offering mm-hmm. might be something that you didn't dare do before but because you did that first thing the boundary of courage has gone outward and you become braver so you could say then 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 bravery and generosity is is indeed a practice mm-hmm. and starting with an orientation starting with a wish mm-hmm. which then puts us on alert to the opportunities to fulfill the wish. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about another situation in Liberia because um, after that happened, um, I became very involved with those people in that, that culture and country. The prayers that they made, as you say, they were really powerful. Mm-hmm. And they really meant it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like we will like do anything, anything, for this. Yeah. anything. Let's not have war again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> um, the, when we buried the vase, it's like this symbolic act, this ritual symbolic act. But the vase went in the ground, and then the elders said, "Well, now what? You know, we want to remember these prayers, and this was important to us." And so um, I don't need to, and need, nor do I want to tell the whole story of everything that happened in Liberia from there. But um, a lot happened and is still going on, a whole peace-building effort that is now national mm-hmm. <laughs> as a result of taking the little clay pot mm-hmm. and these prayers. But I'm thinking about this gentleman by the name of Christian Wolo Bethelson, who I met in Liberia, who was a general. And he was first a general in the army, then he was a general in the uh, rebel forces fighting against Charles Taylor, commanding thousands of troops, um, child soldiers and all the rest. He was a really violent man who grew up in a culture of violence and knew how to 
wield that weapon, all those weapons. Anyway, Bethelson saw me meditate and asked me to teach him how to meditate. And I thought he must be joking, you know, but he was serious. He'd already started to turn his life around after Mm -hmm. the war ended. And um, so Bethelson is an example of, of somebody who had a certain kind of learned courage that took the form of extreme violence and has turned that courage around to where it is so much harder for him to be patient, to be open, to be gentle. The thing is, is that in his deepest heart of hearts, he's the kindest, most generous person you'll ever meet. But he has had to unlearn the behavior that says you push through and you make it happen and you, you know, exert force if you need to and you tell people what to do and, you know. Mm -hmm. But now he is like this completely different person after almost 10 years of practicing in in this way, you know, of, of cultivating a, a deep understanding of what it means to be alive in this precious human life and, and the opportunity that it is and the gratitude that spills over from him and then expresses itself in the work that he's doing now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wrote about him in, I wrote, I wrote about him in more beautiful world. And one of the, one of the things that inspired me about him is, I mean, this guy was just among the worst of the worst human beings imaginable. Like, I don't know his specific career, but I know a bit about child soldiery and what they have to do to boys to turn them into brutal killers. Like, you don't even want to think about it. Mm-mm, let's not think about it. So to take someone like that and for him to become a peace worker, like, if it can happen to him, it can happen to any person that you've ever written off as irredeemable. And the question then arises, how does that transition happen? And what role can we play in making that happen for others and for ourselves? Mm -hmm. And I think that you kind of touched on it when you said in his heart of hearts, he's the most gentle, generous person you've ever met. Mm -hmm. To be able to see that, not as a piece of dogma that everybody has a good heart, but as an actual practice of actually seeing that in everybody, especially the people that we hold in judgment, to see it, then then you can invite it into expression. If you don't see it, and if you see that person as irredeemable, and I don't care who it is, it could be Donald Trump, you know, whoever you're writing off. I, I find actually, I mean, I'll just say, like, I find that if I can see that in a person and speak to that part of them, then it's like I'm inviting them into a different reality. And it's a really strong invitation, if, especially if they've reached a point in their life where stuff's not working for them anymore. Well, that's often what happens. That's the trigger. That's the catalyst. You know, and certainly was with Bethelson. I think he realized that there was not a whole lot more he could do down that path. And right. it was time for change. And he, you know, he... There was always that person inside of him Mm -hmm. it just wasn't nourished you know there was no there was not a lot more he could do down that path and it was time for a change i wonder if we could apply that to our to our civilization too yeah you know it seems like a perfect description yeah there's not a whole lot more we can do higher skyscrapers you know bigger pits like bigger engineering projects i mean come on 
Right. Like right. better video conferencing. Like. <laughs> right. Right. And and the thing for me personally, when Bethelson asked me to work with him, I thought there's no way I would have the capacity to do that. You know, like who am I to mm-hmm. take on a person like him? What would I possibly offer him? And yeah. how, how would I have the tools, given my own life experience, to meet him? Now, the thing, I mean, I, he, he didn't give me a choice. He kept mm-hmm. pestering me until I finally said, okay, here's how you meditate, you know, mm-hmm. take a breath, stop, you know, and then it, it just started to unfold. And, and what I discovered, thankfully, here's an opportunity of gratitude that I have for him because he, I became a very powerful person having to work with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he gave me my power in a certain way. Not, he didn't realize he was doing that, but right. I, I, I had to draw from deep resources to meet him. Well, he saw that in you and like he, he was inviting that into expression. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. you know, it, both of our lives have, have changed. And I realized capacities within myself that I didn't know that I had. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for every single one of us. You know, when we just, when we say yes to the moment, even if we don't know how we're going to do it, we mm-hmm. say yes, and we do it anyway. We discover that we have this, these tools in ourselves. You know, how are we going to turn around this terrible mess we're in on the planet? You know, and if yeah. we stop and think about it and try to figure it out, we get completely overwhelmed. We, we, we get just shut down and scared and, you know, can't even imagine what it would take. Right. An impossible task. It's an impossible task. Right. But when we, when we getting back to, to the, the, the generosity and the gratitude, when we are connected to those forces and we give just a little bit, you know, even just a little bit, something small, you know, that's within our little world, mm-hmm. it's contributing. It's contributing. Yeah. And it triggers the generosity of the universe. Generosity is contagious. So yes. you perform an act of generosity and it comes back. Like, for example, in being matched up with the right person at the right moment to develop a gift that is ready for expression. It's like our entire path is kind of mapped out in a way almost unavoidably that's the generosity of the universe totally like you could not have engineered that no to happen no and 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 so to you know again going back to the whole idea of practice you know practicing being kind of this open vessel you know where the universe can express itself through us and even in small ways, we can um, invite that to uh, flow through us. And then, you know, maybe it grows. So there's noise that you can hear now in our recording. That's the rain and the thunder and the wind, uh, which is quite a gift here in very dry New Mexico, a drought year, and they said 0% chance of rain today. 
So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know <laughs> what the universe is going to bring. <laughs> yeah. But prayers do help. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, gosh, you know, what's a prayer going to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, and the Dalai Lama himself said prayer is not enough. You have right. to work. Um, but it's the beginning of something, you know, and it does invite a certain responsiveness. Like you said earlier, the earth loves it when we give something, when we make an offering, when we express ourselves in, in the depths of our heart of hearts. Mm-hmm. And you love it when I do that, right? Mm-hmm. It makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it when you do. And, and, you know, it's that, like, little seed. Yeah. And it's, to get back to the West Center for me, it's to come fully alive, too. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we here for? We're not here just to survive life. Mm-mm. You know, we're here for something, to commit to something, to participate in something. And if we hold back from that, we feel half alive. Right. And our whole society is set up to kind of maintain us in a half-life. Yes. And Truly. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, say that we're sick of that. We are really sick of that. Yeah. It's not a life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so sad, and it's so debilitating, and it's not going anywhere. Except for death. And destruction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about this part about recognizing the giver, the lover, the, the gentle being inside everybody, and then applying it to myself, too. Because Re- I recognize the power of that. Even when somebody sees me that way, it, like, I become that. Yes. So even if they don't bribe me, like all they have to do is see it. They don't have to kind of leverage that mm. or provide inducements, you know, or try to say, so if you do that, then I will approve of you. All they have to do is see me that way. Mm-hmm. And then I step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we can, if there's a practice where we practice seeing ourselves that way, where we like really see our basic goodness, maybe you'd, you could say, I think that might be a Buddhist term, right? Basic goodness. <laughs> like, we just see it. And then, for me, it is to see it and then to, to, to resist, okay, so now I've got to make this part um, do something. But simply to see it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's such a a trap to think that we always have to do something. And when we act in that way, like, okay, now I'm going to, whatever it is, um, it shuts off that deep core resource of gentle kindness and generosity sometimes. You know, you can muscle through and you can make things happen. We've all done that. And, the Western world, at least, is built on that. Mm. But it's not really working anymore. So there's another 
place to access within ourselves to bring about the kinds of changes that we're hoping for, right? Mm -hmm. And that, to me, looks like stopping all of that and being with that feeling of, of, in the terms we're talking now, generosity, love, um, caring, uh, what we care about. You know, there's, you don't have to do anything with it right away. Right. In, in to grow it, you want to you wanna contain the energy. You want to get familiar with it. You want to uh, let it percolate, you know, like a stew on the stove. You've got to let it cook. And then it gets really delicious. But if you take it off too soon, it, it you know, won't be you know, won't be so good. So you let it percolate and, and, and feed it and get comfortable with that part of mm-hmm. yourself so that then after it becomes familiar and like your orientation really begins to change, mm-hmm. you see through those other eyes and, and that is your reference point instead of the other. Then the actions that come to you to do from that place are really different. And they're not conditioned by the same old stuff. And that's where we want to act from. So it requires us to kind of take another breath, you know, not just plunge forward in the same old way, but to really um, allow ourselves to um, mature in a way. Uh, And then... Uh, and to trust. Yeah. And I think that's especially relevant in a cultural setting where our like urge to act gets channeled into actions that actually perpetuate the status quo exactly. and don't change anything. And they just divert that energy before it has a chance to mature into deep understanding, right. which could change things at a deeper level. Much, yeah. Yeah. It just gets kind of siphoned off Yeah, into into like these contentious, loud issues of the day that are just happening on the surface. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It really is, like when I first started to grapple with, with this idea that I don't have to make myself do anything, that from a different seeing of myself, and this applies to the way we see each other too, from that different seeing, changes happen that make me into a different doer. But I don't have to make myself do anything. And like, I was like, I would protest, like, it can't be that easy. Like, because what's underneath that? Because I'm bad, right? So I have to make myself do things. Otherwise, I will, I will do bad things. I have to make myself do good things. There was this really subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, uh, omnipresent war against myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the mirror of the war on nature, right. uh, the war on each other, you know, forcing, 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 yeah. and, and not trusting yeah. that we're not like that, and that the world is not like that. Yes. You know, the world is not something that needs to be tamed. It has order and beauty and gifts inherent in it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. The web of life is innately intelligent, and we are a part of it. Mm-hmm. 
we're not separate from it. We are part of that web of life. So when we come into that deepest heart of hearts within ourselves and we begin to sense our our place, our part, in even just little tiny glimpses, um, we come to realize that, God, I'm not a bad person. I, I'm, I'm part of this incredible beauty and magic and ferocity and everything else. It's all there. The story of the, uh, the women, you know, giving their last coin, you know, the monks giving their... Mm-hmm. When, I, when, I, when I heard that, I felt that part of myself stirring, mm-hmm. you know, and there was a part of me that'd be like, yeah, I would do that. Mm-hmm. And, and so these stories call call that like they invoke that they're really powerful stories mm-hmm. and and for everyone listening i just want to take a pause here um and just see if you feel that that stirring in you too speaking to the voice recorder here <laughs> uh hi people <laughs> like yeah feeling like that that mm-hmm. what those women and men did and children. And children. And children, yeah. That's you, too. Yeah. Like, you were that child, too. You are that man. You are that woman. It's in you. Like, this is an unquenchable desire to give everything to what you care about the most. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I often invite people to um, make offerings, you know, and it doesn't have to go into a treasure base. You can go up onto a favorite vista point, you know, or down to the beach or find your tree or your rock and, um, you know, just connect with that deep caring, whatever it is that you love, that you care about. And, and then um, make a little offering, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's, you know, in, in the Native American tradition, you might offer tobacco or cornmeal, you know, or maybe maybe you would um, take a coin from your pocket and plant it in the ground, just stick it, just stick it down the ground or throw it. In. You know, people do that in fountains. They throw coins into mm-hmm. the fountains and make a wish. So there's so many different ways of making an offering, but to really feel it, you know, and, and take a moment to just feel into that place and then to formulate a little intention because that's all prayer is, is an intention. Formulate some kind of an intention and then make an offering of generosity to, to whatever it is, you know, wherever you are. And then see what comes from that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, for me, the offering has to be a little bit precious. Yes. You know, like cornmeal and tobacco was very precious because it took a lot of work to produce these things. True. So, you know, I'm thinking of, well, what if it's bearing a $100 bill or something like that? But, and then where that took me is mm-hmm. a kind of offering that I like to make that um, works on a more rational level, too, mm-hmm. which is if I stay in a hotel, mm-hmm. I like to leave a $10 bill, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, could be a $20 bill mm-hmm. with a note on it for the cleaning people. Mm-hmm. And it says, whatever I'm inspired to say, like last time I said... Um, thank you for your hard work and your beautiful heart. 
And I just put that, you know, and that's a kind of an offering. Totally. It's, yeah. it, you're letting go of it. It's going into the great unknown. Yeah. And the rational part of my brain also is satisfied because I imagine some person making minimum wage, you know, some immigrant or something like that. Like $10 is significant for, I mean, there's a lot, there's a time in my life where $10 was, was significant, you know, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and it feels like, you know, a little bit of like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a little, yeah. it's, yeah. And, and that's the feeling I look for. There's a little bit of, yeah, no, yeah. it's, that's so true. Charles is to give just a little bit beyond your comfort level mm-hmm. or something that's really precious to you that you, you, you know, might wish to hold on to. Cause there's that, there's that grasping in us, mm-hmm. that attachment that keeps us stuck. Right. I think that's partly why the monks are renunciates, right? Mm-hmm. Because they really are after liberation. <laughs> but if we're holding on, you right. know, it won't happen. So, but it's to connect with that, that bigger place. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes like maybe such a thing as attachment to renunciation. Sure. So, so what I also like to recognize is even if there's that feeling of not, uh, there's also a feeling of readiness. Yeah. Like maybe this thing that I've had, like a crystal or something that someone gave me, a painting, you know, maybe there's a feeling of it's ready mm-hmm. to, to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes it's not ready mm-hmm. or I'm not ready or it's still serving something in me yeah. and it's not, it's time yet. Yeah. So it can go both ways. It can. Yes, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. I'm thinking about another situation, to, if we have time to share. Sure. Just, um, uh, be, and I'm not sure where this fits in, but I was in Congo mm-hmm. with one of the treasure vases. And um, I took it towards the end of the trip uh, to the pygmy people mm-hmm. in the forest because I wanted to... I wanted them to be the ones to bury that vase in Congo. Mm-hmm. It was the healing in Congo is desperately needed in many, yes. many ways, but it felt like they were the ones to bury the vase in the forest. And also that the forest needs protection because it's providing oxygen for the whole earth over mm-hmm. there and everything else. So there, it was an amazing thing to go and meet these pygmy people who are one of the oldest cultures on earth, you mm-hmm. know, and when I got to their village, they brought, they had been preparing and they brought out one of the most amazing meals that I've ever had in my life where everything was gathered in the forest mm-hmm. that we ate because they, they're not traditionally, they're not, um, they don't cultivate the land. They're, right. they're, they're um, for, foraging yeah. people. Yeah, hunt, hunting and foraging. Um, so they had gone out into the forest and they had brought everything to eat from the forest and wrapped it in leaves and mm. little basket things. And they had um, found, you know, they, 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 they find salt, they find certain kind of wild peanuts that they ground into peanut butter that then went on to some other thing that you all ate with your hands and there's fruit and the it was such an incredible meal and 
um, I was with uh, one of the elders was a gentleman who was also pygmy from Rwanda who had come with us, who's more worldly, who had, mm-hmm. you know, experience it with UN things. And, yeah. you know, and he, he kept exclaiming, this is the real food, you know, mm-hmm. this is the real food, this is the... He just went on and on and on. He was so thrilled to have that um, offering made, you know, and it was like the most generous offering that they could have possibly made for us. Mm-hmm. And um, it was such that then also the king, they called him the king of the pygmies, the, the chief of that particular um, village tribe where we were, also gave to this other elder that I, w- that I just mentioned his um, staff. You know, like he gave him his most powerful object, ceremonial object, and mm-hmm. he just gave it to him um, out of honoring and recognition and respect, you know. And, um, and it was funny because... They had also woven, they made a basket for me that they, that was one that you wore over the forehead and then it went down the back mm. and it's for what you, where you gather and pick things uh-huh. and you, it goes into a basket on your back. Mm. And they gave me one of those and then they gave me a mat that was a sleeping mat that was woven from reeds or, I don't know, some kind of uh, substance from gathered. And and there was a really a lot of laughter because the the king of the pygmies was indicating that that's where I would sleep Mm -hmm. um, with my husband, you know, Uh and that we would sleep and people sleep together on their mats. And, and then, then it became clear that um, there was some interest in (laughs) sharing the mat. (laughs) (laughs) So we laughed about that for the whole entire rest of the time. And we decided he was my husband and all the rest of it. It was really funny, but, and so, so, warm and welcoming and mm. you know sweet and charming uh but but truly you know that was an example of like one of the most incredibly generous uh experiences I've have been on the receiving end of mm-hmm. you know so i just offer that into the mix of this conversation for what it's yeah. worth thank you for that i, I take that as a uh as a glimpse of a future that could yeah. happen again on earth. Yeah. That that's wealth. That's wealth. And and I think yeah. we miss that wealth. That's the real food. Yeah. We miss that food. And it's yes. not just the food, it's like everything that a culture like that has and lives by. I mean, I can just feel I can feel the the yearning to have that. And I can understand why people are so greedy, you know? Just, just to, if you don't have that, then, well, what can you replace it with? More and more and more and more, but it never meets it. Right, right. And if we could just have real wealth again, then this planet would be in much better shape. And we wouldn't be really sacrificing anything. At the time, well, it feels like a sacrifice, but later well, you realize. I mean, we are in the midst of a huge sacrifice on the planet in terms of the loss of ecosystems and cultures and languages right. and so many things and that is you know we have we have we have done that to ourselves it is a sacrifice that has been made yeah but not toward real wealth it's been a sacrifice 
toward poverty. Right, but it could lead us to the recognition of real wealth. Mm -hmm. If we don't have it, mm -hmm. then we realize what's precious. Like, yeah, like if we know sky. what's missing. I mean, sometimes we don't even know what's missing. No. But, but, but stories like that connect us to what's missing. And we think, oh, okay. Right. That's like what I want now. Yeah. The blue sky is a rare thing in many places in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what blue sky is. But then you, you, you or you see the stars again. Mm -hmm. And you haven't seen the stars in years because it's yeah. so polluted, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and then you, you see the stars again somewhere, and you go, oh, my God. Look at this. The beauty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Reconnecting to the uh, generosity mm -hmm. of this world. Yeah. So much beauty everywhere. Yeah. A remembering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coming back to that simple, the, the simple things mm -hmm. that that remind us of, of why we're really here. You know, what is important in our deepest heart of hearts? What, what am I here to do, to give, to, mm -hmm. to be? Um, what is the, that little quiet voice calling? If I listen carefully, if I stop for a few minutes, take another breath. For Bethelson, it was, it was, you know, stopping all of that and returning to just here and now. Finding, you know, I think that in and of itself allowed him to make peace with himself. He's still making peace with himself. It'll go on for his whole life. But, you know, he was able to change. Mm -hmm. Because there is that other part that was kind of calling to him like hey wait what about me mm -hmm. maybe if I meditate hmm mm -hmm. and sure enough mm -hmm. yeah that's very evocative hey wait what about me and we've sacrificed the earth we've sacrificed the water we've sacrificed the air we've sacrificed ourselves to be perpetuating this this cyclic existence, this round that goes mm -hmm. really nowhere in the end. And, and, and that's that part of ourselves that we've sacrificed over and over and over is like still in there going, uh-huh, hello, what about me? Are you mm -hmm. there? Are you at all ever going to pay attention to me? You know? And, and that's the part of us that, you know, like if we really all come together and act from that place, we will have that more beautiful world. We will. Yes. We will. So we're feeding a spirit that is filled with beauty and, and, and grace and power and majesty. Mm -hmm. And not that other thing that's going nowhere fast. Mm -hmm. So that moves me to maybe conclude with uh, just a moment of gratitude for all of the things that are bringing that part back to life or back into recognition when sometimes it was totally lost. But the world has not given up on us. And we're reuniting. Yeah. The potential is there. Yeah. Yeah. And from that, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible, no. And to focus on that and feed that spirit 
with our lives and with our energy and our our love and um and our generosity mm-hmm. you know and and to not really actually give a whole lot of energy to that other system because why why would we i mean it's a, it's kind of a waste of time yeah so so let's 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 do that let's okay give thanks for this incredible opportunity that we have to connect with what's really important and to 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 give ourselves to that fully mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives here it is yeah yeah mm. anything is possible mm-hmm. <sighs> okay all right thank you so much Cynthia <laughs> Great pleasure and joy. Thank you, Mm. Charles. This has been a new and ancient story with your host, Charles Eisenstein. I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.